Welcome to the CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman, a practicing physician and CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. And today I have Dr. Greg Nicandri, and he is a new CMIO. And this is going to be a lot of fun. Because I want to, I really want Greg to come on the show to give us that perspective of what's the first few weeks like and how's it going and what's his mission and objectives right off the bat. So, Greg, one, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me on, Mark. Great. So, if you would, introduce yourself to our audience. Where are you working now? How did you get here? And go a little deeper into like the journey of how you decided to become a CMIO. Sure. So for the last 10 years, I've been an orthopedic surgeon practicing sports medicine. And as you mentioned, for the last six weeks, I've been a chief medical information officer. All that time has been at the University of Rochester Health System, which consists of six hospitals. We have uh, Strong Memorial Hospital, Highland Hospital, FF Thompson, Noyes, St. James and Jones Memorial. And this covers a large part of Western New York and what we call here in New York the Southern Tier, which is basically the part of the middle of New York that extends towards uh, Pennsylvania. So we have a pretty wide uh, catchment area. We, uh, you asked a little bit about how I ended up as a as a CMIO and, and what my journey was. Uh, you know, before listening to your podcast and and first off, I got to say I'm I'm actually a big fan of the podcast. It's really helped me in my first six weeks, kind of understanding that there's a lot of other people out there like me trying to do the same thing and it's been really helpful so before listening to your podcast i thought my journey was pretty atypical but in reality it seems like really it's been similar to many others who are in this position in that if you asked me five years ago what i thought about being a cmio uh, it probably wouldn't have even been on my radar and i might have said well what what is a cmio um, right. I can't think of any other orthopedic CMIOs out there. So you, your story is really going to be unique. So how, how did you start on this journey? So I, I've always been interested in finding kind of technology solutions to, to problems. And so when I started in my orthopedic career, my primary academic interest really for the first 10 years of practice was to kind of find and develop new ways to help surgeons establish a set of fundamental surgical skills without having to have them first practice them on patients. I always thought it was ridiculous that the first time you hold an arthroscope or the first time you try to perform surgery, you're doing it on a patient. Whereas if you're in the airline field, you're practicing on a, on a simulator before you're ever flying a plane. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just not how it was when I started. And so that got me, you know, in addition to working with some really smart folks on developing simulators and uh, understanding some, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality type technologies, it got me a better understanding of professional education and how to drive culture change. When we started, surgical simulation was really not uh, mainstream. And so I learned a lot of those skills and kind of had fun doing that. Uh, And then later on, we started to figure out, well, you know, how are we doing? Are we actually making a difference? How do we quantify that? And so in order to do that, I kind of got pretty deep into website and database design and and analytics. 
And essentially all that stuff that I was doing then really applies to my job now. So basically I was learning to teach individuals and organizations how to use technology to get better at something and then figure out how to best evaluate whether we were reaching those goals. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's what CMIOs do. Absolutely. So did you get tapped saying, hey, you seem good at this. We want you to take on this role. Or did you, uh, was there already a CMIO and you kind of filled in behind someone who left? How did that all happen? We've had an interesting kind of transition. So during that time when I was doing those projects, I started at some point, I thought, all right, I'm learning all these skills. How can I actually apply them to help my day-to-day life to help me take care of my patients better and how can I share this with my colleagues to help them take their care care of their patients better and that's where I started to get more involved with our ISD team here and became a, a physician builder and through that started really enjoying that process of helping my colleagues and found quite a bit of fulfillment in it and and really when I got involved with ISD was about three years ago and at that time our previous CMIO had just left and there really has been a gap. There's been no definitive CMIO really for two years. We had a team of assistant CMIOs that were kind of doing the job and then for the last year one of our faculty actually stepped up and took on the role of interim CMIO for a year Uh, for essentially free while we could conduct a search to find uh, a permanent CMIO. So the position opened up about a year ago and at that point I thought this is something I think I'd like to give a try and see something that um, I can do and I applied and then was lucky enough to be offered the job. CMIOs tend to come up from people who care about their colleagues. I think that's what I'm hearing from you, is that that's what drove you. You liked making your colleagues more efficient. You you feel helpful and useful when you're doing that. Uh, It's different than caring for patients, but kind of the same feeling of, I'm making someone better. Do you agree that that's some of the feelings that you were having that that drove you to become a CMIO? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what makes you feel the best when we... we, um... As physician builder, I, I implemented our bones module here and just kind of going through that process of identifying where colleagues were having stru- struggles and, and how we could either teach them to use the technology or develop the right kind of forms to support their workflows to make their lives easier and then having people who I've heard complain about the medical record for 10 years say, wow, that actually worked. That's really great. I mean, people are ready to hug you when you make a, a big difference. I mean, this is something they interact with every single day. And all they wanna do is take better care of their patients. And sometimes they feel like the technology is impeding them. If you can help them with that, they are so grateful. And that's that's what makes it so rewarding. I, I mean, that's exactly what the way I feel. When, when we do something and someone gives you a little bit of recognition occasionally that says, hey, that, that's better. And it's like, oh, thank you. You know, yeah, that's what that's what fires me up too. So, hey, are you still clinical? Uh, do you still fix bones? I am, yes. That's been a little bit of a challenge. So I was seeing about 400 patients a month and doing about 40 surgeries uh, a month. And with the transition, it's going down to a quarter uh, time, so I'm uh, 0.25 FTE now as an orthopedic surgeon, 0.75 as CMIO. And so with that, I'm paring down my practice to 100 patients uh, a month and and 10 surgeries a month, which obviously 
tightening that funnel and making sure we're still able to take care of people appropriately, um, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time. Yes. So you're working at uh, probably closer to a 1.75 FTE right about now because the orthopedic position, you're probably still pretty busy doing that. And you've added on the CMIO role. Is that accurate? You've got it. It's, yeah. it's a lot right now. It does get, I can reassure you, it does get better, but you are going to have to carve out the time to be a truly effective CMIO. And I think somewhere between 0 0.75, 0 0.8, 0 0.9 is, is what I hear very commonly across the industry. Most CMIOs still seem to like to have their hands in there so that they're experiencing the pain and suffering or uh, enjoyment as as your colleagues are. So I'm glad that you're still clinical, I think. I think it's still still a good thing to do. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. I mean, to, to have credibility, if you're going to be trying to drive change, you need to be feeling the pain too. If I if I make a bad decision, I, I want to feel it uh, so that I can get it corrected and, and understand the problem better. Did you get any feeling from your colleagues about when you made this change? Did they start looking at you funny? Were they expecting it? What was their, are they like, what are you doing? Uh, what what was their reaction if you if you got a sense I, for it? Well, I think a lot of people thought I was crazy. I had a lot of people say, "Why, why are you doing this? You have the perfect job." And and even my wife, I told everybody since I was five years old that I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. And even if you look at my back transcripts from when I was going to middle school, it said wants to be a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon, and I achieved that dream and I love that job um, and I love my patients and I and I you know love the impact I can have on them but that was the whole thing I felt like I could do more you know I can only see and touch so many people in my orthopedic practice if I can help our entire system be better and deliver better care I grew up here in in the region and if I can play a role in my whole area getting better and getting better medical care. That's that's what I want to do. Love it. Love it. Tell us a little bit more about your actual position. Do you have direct reports? It sounds like there may be some other physician builders out there. What's their relationship to you? Do you have a CNIO or what, what's some of the relationships that happen in your to your position specifically? We I think we have a pretty good structure. So when I came on, we also hired a CNIO who started two weeks before I started in my role as CMIO. Um, and she's fantastic. She's got experience being a CNIO and she's kind of a, a, a real um, go-getter, fireplug type of person. And that kind of dovetails nicely with my knowledge of the system having worked here for 10 years. So she came from outside with experience. I'm coming from inside with less administrative experience. So I think we work together, uh, together really well. I report to our CMO with a dotted line to our CIO, and uh, she reports to the CNO. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, I'm glad you are realizing very early on that having a really great CNIO is the best thing in the world. What a partnership it can be. Uh, I'm going to try to get some CNIOs to come on the show and just talk about that relationship. But uh, it sounds like you found that this is a, a really valuable person to collaborate with. Is that, is that a fair statement? Absolutely. I mean, it gives you a whole, I mean, we're, we're a team taking care of patients. And I don't 
know the role of the nurses as well because I haven't I haven't lived it. And if we don't optimize their workflows to support our workflows to support the mission of the hospital, um, it's not going to be as effective. It's so important to have that relationship with the CNIO because as you're going through this position and you're like, you know what, we could make this really great alert, but I don't want it to hit the providers. I want it to hit the nurses. Having that relationship with your CNIO is really going to pay off. So I'm glad you're, you're connecting there. Um, you'll, you'll notice some, you know, it's not always all uh, hugs and roses and, and, and butterflies. <laughs> There'll be some contentious points too, but that's all good. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about what, what worries you as a CMIO. And my, when I started, I was worried that the providers are going to see me as an evil administrator. And I'm on the other side, and the, you know, I do practice as well, but they may not give that as much credibility as, as I would like them to. What's your worry as a new CMIO? Six weeks out here, what scares you? My fear is that you know I can pitch a really good vision and idea of where we want to be. And I think everybody can buy into that, uh, but then we start being uh, more reactive to the things that just kind of come up, and we tend to pour our resources and and energies into being reactive uh, to fix problems or things that come up at the moment, as opposed to optimizing for the for the greater good in the future. And I think. To, to achieve what, what they've hired me to set out to achieve, obviously we need some, uh, some focus on that as we go forward. I'd hate to get halfway along and then find that we're changing directions. I think that's my, my fear. That's reasonable. For what it's worth, do not let your email drive your agenda for the day. I will find that will happen to me, and I don't like it when, gee, I thought I was going to be doing tasks or, or concepts X, Y, and Z and strategizing on this, and then I see this email, and I'm like, oh, i got to go put out that fire. Don't let the email drive you. I don't know if you're already finding that or not uh, six weeks ago. Absolutely. Do. <laughs> so one of the first things I did, actually, was I shut off my email alerts so that when I'm working, I'm not getting a buzz, um, I'm not getting something that's interrupting me that I look at and then even tempt myself to get involved in. It, it lets me focus a, a little bit better. And then another thing um, I'd read a long time ago, David Allen's uh, Getting Things Done book, and I guess I wasn't busy enough because it didn't, it didn't apply uh, as much. Uh, I didn't need that much structure, but now I'm accountable to so much. Uh, I found that kind of rereading that and coming up with a system uh, for tracking and keeping myself accountable and knowing what my work is has been has been really helpful. So uh, I'm hoping I can stick to that this time. Right. So what are you most excited about? Uh, six weeks in here, what's the grand vision or what, what do you hope to achieve? So I think sh- short-term, long-term goals. So short-term, I kind of wanted to learn all of the players, learn our governance system, make sure I understood which committees needed to be brought, which issues, and kind of um, what buttons to push in in which places, Uh, and also go on the standard listening tour to learn what our faculty needs or what they find are the the biggest things that they need from a technology standpoint to support them uh, in their mission, and in terms of discrete goals, actually doing work while I'm going through that process, 
I was hoping to have some some quick wins, maybe to gain a little bit of uh, credibility and and build enthusiasm. And actually, I've been lucky because I have a really really good uh, assistant CMIO team, and they're experienced. They're the same ones that have been here for the last three years during the the transition. We were just in the last week able to increase everybody's email inbox size, <laughs> which <laughs> I got I got. Tons of emails, even though I can't really take credit for doing it. I got a bunch of thank you emails for that. And then um, we're really close to uh, getting Dragon Medical One on board, which is going to be an enormous win for, um, I think, for provider wellness at our at our institution. So uh, I'm excited about that. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of, of Dragon Medical One. We use that uh, here as well. In fact, we're just going to an enterprise license now because it's so popular. Um, tell me a little bit about your relationships with the analysts. Have you started forming bonds there yet with the, the it sounds like you're an epic shop. I hear you're using some epic buzzwords like like bones and um, and physician builder. So are, are you getting close with the, the orders analysts or the ambulatory analysts or what, what, what connections are you making? Um, already from being a we do we are an epic shop and so from being um, a physician builder I had some pretty good relationships with our ambulatory team and the ambulatory analysts I'm kind of learning the the structure of uh, the rest of ISD and in all the other groups uh, Optime and cadence and and all the other all the other teams associated so I'm slowly getting getting familiar with them I do lead our uh, Physician Advisory Council, and that group, one of its roles is to direct our optimization team. So we have a dedicated team of ambulatory analysts and a project manager um, who basically just focuses on optimizations. So that team I've been getting pretty close with. Excellent. How about your education around informatics? You've got the physician builder, it sounds like. Um, how do you plan to further your education? And are there certain conferences that you think are going to be exciting for you to start going to? What's your plan for that? I am studying for my informatics board. And I've uh, joined AMIA and I'm doing the board review course, which has been really great. I started that just before I started work. and. It's just applicable to my day-to-day, -day and it's in, it's giving me a good foundational knowledge set and helping me identify gaps that I can read about further. So that's that's been a really good place to start for me. In terms of conferences and things like that, I'll be going to UGM. Um, I have gone uh, in the past. I'll be uh, going to AMDIS. Um, I found, like I said before, listening to your podcast, listening to uh, Today in Health IT, just things like that just kind of uh, help drive connections. So uh, through listening to your podcast, I learned about Dr. Kaufman and his um, business intelligence and was able to watch that presentation on UGM. That's something that we're really lacking here. Lots of good ideas came from that. So. Excellent. Excellent. Hey, we got to catch up when we get to UGM. I'll be there too. So tell me more about your interest in analytics. Uh, you, you mentioned it seems like an area where the organization struggles a little bit. Tell us as much as you're comfortable with what kind of struggles do you have there? 
Yeah, so I, I, I'm constantly being asked as I'm going around on my listening tour, where, where is the data? How do we get to the data? How do we get the reports I need uh, for operations or business intelligence or patient outcomes? Everything that we want to do um, needs reports really to drive decision making and improvement. And it's an area where for whatever reason, we just haven't been real successful. So what's actually happened is we've now got like five different shops that do reporting for different things. So because of us having difficulty getting reports about quality out of ISD, there's now a basically a whole quality team where they've hired their own analysts and they have their own system for generating quality reports. Um, we have another group who was looking at patient reported outcomes and they collect data and they have their own data warehouse where they're getting outcome data, um, but they're not all tied into our Caboodle database yet. So I think we're going to want to bring that um, on, into one main enterprise data warehouse so that we can all get the same answers from asking uh, the same questions. So right now, you might query three different tools and you might get three different answers to the same question and people that creates a lot of distrust with the data and um, you know, I think that's one of our, our big things going forward that we need to try to figure out how to clean up. Sounds like you're struggling also with how much of analytics should be centralized versus decentralized. Should quality have their own team or should it be centralized? We all go through this and it's a fantastic conversation to have with your CIO and, and the executive leadership team about you know what's the structure, what should it look like? And then you can start to figure out the governance from there. So uh, just a you know, great problem to have. We all have it, by the way. So you're, you're right in there with the rest of us. Um, and it sounds like you're well on your way towards, towards working through it. Um, all right, so let's wrap this up and get you out of here. What advice do you have for others that are considering making the leap to CMIO? You're closest to us. So what should others do if they want to get into this field? Being only six weeks in, I don't know that I can give a, a, a ton of advice, but obviously I got here uh, somehow. Um, what, what I constantly see is that uh, people are frustrated with the medical record um, and they're afraid of getting involved because they, need, they think they need to be a techie or a computer geek. They think they need to understand computers and databases. And that is part of it, and that's part of being effective. But really, people who are clinically knowledgeable and understand efficient workflows and systems are extremely valuable to the informatics team. Uh, and there's technical people to kind of do the technical stuff. So I think if people are interested in making things better, find out who your informatics team is, find out how you can get involved. We're always looking for more help and there's plenty of work to go around. And if you really enjoy it, then you know, maybe continue to, to progress on to assistant CMIO or, or CMIO. Yeah, like we said before, it starts with that desire to help your colleagues. And if you've got that bug, if that gene lives inside you, you will find that journey so valuable and rewarding. It sounds like you have. I know that's that's 
how I have and many of the guests I've talked to have uh, all felt the same way. So one, thank you for coming on the show. I think this has been really insightful for others who are wondering what's, what's it like uh, in the first six weeks of being a CMIO. Um, is there a way for people to get in contact with you? Do, they, do you use LinkedIn or, or email or anything that they could use? Yeah, link, LinkedIn is probably the best way. That's probably the quickest way to get in touch with me. Oh, great. Thank you. Well, uh, once again, thanks Thanks for coming on the show. We'll have to have you back on at some, you know, maybe maybe when you're in for a year or so and you'll let us know, uh, are you still liking all of this? And are, <laughs> are you still um, making it to all of your meetings on time? Because none of us ever do. But, well, well, we'll hear back from you. So thanks again. My pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me, Mark. Great. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman, and you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com. You can send me your ideas for shows, guests you would like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect, and I look forward to bringing you our next episode. (music) 